Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, one eight or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and... Angela. Angela, welcome to The Breakfast Show this morning. How are you this morning? I am very well. It was a little bit early of a morning, very dark, but I actually greatly enjoyed it. There you go. The morning is the best part of the day. This is one of the things that you learn when you do breakfast radio is that the morning is... The, did you know the morning was the best part of the day before today? Actually, yeah. Actually, since I moved to Australia, I've fallen in love with mornings. Really? Really. Okay. The morning so, has always been a struggle. I hated any time before seven. <laughs> but since I've moved and, to and Australia... And why, why did Australia make the difference? Just because we have the most amazing mornings in the, on the planet? Is that- something with your sunrises, your beaches... Just encourage me to get up in the morning. Okay, so when you moved to Australia, though, you moved to the beach, didn't you? I did. Had you ever lived on the beach before? I have not. Ah, <laughs> sea is the best environment that there is. Okay, so this morning I am thankful for... This is going to be a bit of a random one, although I always do random ones. I'm thankful for Cyrus. Oh. I've never been thankful for an individual, apart from like family and so forth, on the breakfast show this morning. But I spent the weekend studying the history of... Cyrus the Great, which I've studied many times before, but studying it in more depth than before and was more impressed than I have ever been before. Did you know? So everybody can tell by your accent where you come from. Um, <laughs> did you know that the history of Cyrus was mandatory reading for the founders of the United States? No, I did there not. There you go. He stood for separation of church and state religious liberty, and he stated that he would never rule over a people who did not want him to rule over them. Very enlightened individual for his era. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Angela, what can you tell us about the positive, what's some positively different news for today? Oh, I have some really exciting stories that I have found. Um, The first one that I would like to share with you is about a man in Ghana, Africa. He's a shoemaker who invented a solar-powered hand-washing basin during lockdown to encourage sanitary habits. So Ghana is a small country with 31 million inhabitants. It's benefiting from a good old-fashioned ingenuity and its fight against COVID-19. Cool. And Kumasai, um, they had a lockdown, and in less than 48 hours, a 32-year-old shoemaker named Richard Quateng and his brother, Judosai, managed to gather all the necessary supplies to turn an old recycled metal barrel into a solar-powered hand-washing basin to encourage sanitation habits among the neighborhood. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So, so, so a solar-powered hand-washing basin. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what's what's I'm just sort of thinking a hand washing basin is a basin with water in it, right? Yes. What does this one actually do? Is there okay? So is this pumping water through, or is it using solar power to I don't know make the water cleaner? That's a really great question. <laughs> now All got- I understand <laughs> is um, the fact that um, the water that is pumped through um, is solar run, not necessarily that it's okay. cleansed by the sun. Right. Okay. So not cle- okay. So just, 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 yep. All right. So we're pumping water through. And so without that, then, of course, 
you would have people throwing a bucket of water into the basin and everybody washing the same basin. Yes, exactly. But now you've got a pump that's pumping. So it you through. just walk up to it, you put your hands under it, and it doesn't need to be powered by electricity. It's the sun being able to put the water through the pump to then be able to wash your hands and not have to touch anything. Oh, that's cool. That's yes. cool. Okay, so you don't even have to... Yeah, that's very cool. And the Ghana government, because his brother recorded it and put it viral online, the Ghana government saw it and they had them instantly develop more and the whole city was covered with them um, and then others have seen it as well and they're very interested in this incredible invention you know that's amazing because you're at Ghana which is like a developing country and I have not seen anything like this here in Australia when I go to wash my hands 99% of the time I have to turn on a tap and touch you know a piece of metal that somebody else touched before me and then somebody's going to touch after me one of the reasons why we have a 50-person you know, restriction on people on inside venues is because of the pressure that it places on the bathroom system, the toilets, and that obviously the hand-washing areas. Whereas, yeah, here in Ghana, they've just gone, yeah, we'll just do this with solar, no problem, done, problem solved, and spread them all over the city. And as we know, there's plenty of sunshine in Australia, so it wouldn't be very difficult to do some <laughs> solar-powered basins here. That's for sure. Maybe this is something that our government needs to look into what they're doing in Ghana. What did they make use for the bowling in? Was it like half of a... It was a metal barrel. Just, they just, just use a metal barrel. Okay, so take, take your average 44-gallon drum, cut it in half, and uh, add some solar to it, and away you go. Yeah, and they literally just got the different pieces for the computer off the streets. Because there was all sorts of little pieces they needed, and they built their own little computer thing to get the solar ca- captured to power their bucket. I've got to tell you, when I was in, well, this is one of the things that just blew my mind when I was in Ethiopia, was the ingenuity of people in developing countries and what they would actually create with scrap metal. You know, they you, you could you could go down to the markets and you could buy you know, like four or five different kinds of stove tops, and they're all just made out of scrap metal, a basic switch and a cord, and uh, just sort of all stitched and soldered and welded together. This is just remarkable. It's like never seen anything like it, and they work. You know, they're not as, they don't work as fancy as, you know, your convection oven or whatever we might have here in Australia, but they work. They, they cook good food. I never, I never went hungry while I was there and always enjoyed the food. Well, have you ever noticed when you don't have very much, you get much more creative? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So these guys are uh, just smashing it over there and we need to learn from them. Well, I think maybe we could just learn to live on a little less and then we probably would be much more creative. <laughs> I think so. I think so. All, All right. right. What else is happening? Um, another story that I have for you is a principal who has served um, over 10,000 meals in the country of India. That's a lot of food. That is a lot of food. So basically, he noticed that um, the elderly were not able to get out and get food. And so he decided to do something about it. And it started with one day. And he fed 250 people in one day. And it started with a WhatsApp group. And okay. so the WhatsApp group is what told them who needed help. And other local businesses started to see what he was doing because if one day he fed 250 people, that is quite inspiring of how many other people could be reached. Um, and they just kept um, working on it. And for about 15 days, he took um, to families packets of essential cooking supplies like rice, sugar, salt, oil, assorted vegetables, and dal, which is a dish of lentil and beans. Yes, I love Indian food and I love dal. It's just amazing. What's your favorite kind of 
your favourite kind of ethnic food, Angela? Oh, I think I'd have to say Mediterranean. And I really, really love... Oh, man. So many. But... She's thinking hard right now. She's going to come Actually, up with... I forgot what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Mediterranean dish that is in Angela's head right now that is making her mouth water, but we have no idea what it is. But that's, that's, that's okay. I like Indian food. Indian food is my, um, my favorite food probably because I've got a little bit of that in me um, being part Sri Lankan, but yeah, I love my Indian food. Just amazing. So, okay, so he's, he's feeding all of these people. Other businesses get involved. And how many did they end up feeding in the end? Um, 10,000 meals have been served. So far. And they're still going? Yep, they're still going. Um, they have also provided groceries for 600 to 700 families, and as well as catering for 250 people of 14 to 15 different villages on the daily as well. How do they fund this? I mean, that would be uh, – that's a, that's a pretty big effort right there. They just, I guess, being – yeah, they've just heard about Generous it, and themselves. there's um, local organization. Local organizations have helped to spread the word, and there's a helpline now set up where people can call in um, saying that they need help. This is very important in countries like India because the reality is that when you get a country that has that big of a gap between the rich and the poor, when COVID, you know, lockdown came in and it came down very suddenly in India, a lot of people. A lot of people just died either from COVID or from starvation Mm -hmm. or from other diseases. A lot of them were trapped, you know, in a location that was a long way away from their home, had no way of support, had no way of getting home, um, tried to walk home, died on the side of the road as they were going home. A lot of tragedies right there. Good to see something positive happening. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. I'm going to go to our interview of the day, Etienne McClintock. Etienne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lol. Pleasure to be on your show again. Now, Etienne, of course, you're from uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and Voice of the Martyrs is an organization that really provides help for persecuted Christians around the world. And each time that you come on, you've told us, you know, stories of persecution from, you know, some of the some of the more crazy out there, I guess, regimes that exist and, and are really persecuting uh, Christians and people of other faiths, but Voice of the Martyrs particularly focusing on Christians. Does persecution ever happen in developed, you know, major developed countries? Yes, absolutely. Uh, contrary to a popular belief, uh, persecution is not restricted to certain countries and certain time periods. I mean, the Apostle Paul in Second uh, Timothy chapter three verse twelve says that all who lead godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So the question needs to be asked, why is there uh, so little persecution in the West and Western countries, you know, like Australia and America and so on? Well, there is actually persecution. It's at a lower level because we have um, constitutions and we have laws to protect our religious freedom to a certain extent, perhaps more so in the U.S. than here in Australia. But uh, just recently, we actually uh, came across a story here in Australia, and this is something that happens on a reasonably regular basis where people are sharing their faith. But just to give you a basic idea, we work in uh, 68 countries around the world. Um, there's been, last year, about 260 million Christians that were persecuted for their faith. That's up 15 million on the year before. So we've been around in Australia for 51 years. And occasionally we have some stories in Australia that just demonstrate that persecution is alive and well in every single country. Some obviously have a much higher concentration of persecution. But just last Thursday 
evening. I got a text from a supporter of Voice of the Martyrs. He's a doctor in Australia, works at a hospital, works at A&E as a senior doctor there. And uh, he just sent me a text. He said, listen, would you please pray with me? Uh, a formal complaint has been made against me for praying with the patient. And of course, that intrigued me quite, quite somewhat because I know that this guy is a smart guy. You know, he won't just uh, push his faith on anybody. And if the opportunity is created for him to share his faith, he, he'll gladly share it. And, uh, you know, through inquiry and question, he'd be happy to answer those. So um, what had happened is it uh, got familiar with a guy that would come to their hospital every week for a prayer meeting. This man was also a Christian, but him and his wife had just split up and they had some children. One of them was a teenage daughter. And uh, on Friday, so this is Friday a week ago, uh, the uh, the girl who had been suffering with um, you know, depression and anxiety, especially anxiety, had a severe panic attack. She was uh, brought to the hospital uh, pretty much almost out of control. And uh, the first doctor that saw her tried to help her. They finally had to give her something just to calm her down, to sedate her a little bit. And then when the senior doctor came in, who's my friend, our supporter at BOM, Voice of the Martyrs, um, the, the father recognized him said, listen, would you mind just spending some time just talking to my daughter, just giving her a little bit of counsel, a bit of encouragement, and also could you pray with her? Now, the father actually asked for this, so the doctor yeah, found a place where they could sit and, and have a discussion, and uh, the girl acknowledged the fact that she was actually a Christian and uh, she uh, was a believer. Not sure how strong a believer she was, but uh, they had quite a good open discussion. And at the end, the doctor said, well, if you were a Christian, would it be okay? Your dad's asked me to pray with you. Would it be okay if I pray with you? Um, she agreed readily, and he prayed with her, and uh, she was feeling a lot better after the prayer and also after the discussion with the doctor. So that happened on the Friday night. However, on the Monday, now there's some challenges, I guess, in the breakdown of the marriage between the father and the mother. The mother with a friend came and laid a complaint at the hospital against the doctor for praying with his patient, with the 15-year-old's daughter. Now, Etienne, so, uh, can I just jump in for a quick question? Sure. This was a public hospital or was this a private hospital? No, it's a public hospital. Okay, yep, so a public hospital. Yep, 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 yep. Just wanted to clarify mm. that because I'm sort of thinking, you know, a private hospital, like if you went to Sydney Adventist Hospital, my my expectation would be that the doctor would pray with me um, being, you know, a church-based hospital. But, you know, we're dealing with the public the public hospital right here. And so, yeah, um, that would not be the uh, the normal expectation. But, yeah, he was praying by request, both the, both well, the daughter right, yeah, and the so father. The, the father's request, and then the daughter always said, yes, that was fine as well. So, um, I mean, the mum apparently is a Christian as well, but you never know where people are at, you know, and, and uh, who, who's influencing them. Um, so she's laid this complaint, but um, he's done nothing wrong, really. However, the complaint now needs to be investigated, and you never know which way these things will go. I mean, as Christians, we cannot be complacent about these things, because quite often you think, look, I'm perfectly innocent, and before you know it, you are found guilty of something that you have actually haven't done. So we've been spending some time in prayer. We put it on our uh, Facebook page. If you go to Voice of the Martyrs Australia, you'll find it in one of the posts there on Friday. And then also it's on our website at vom.com.au. But persecution is alive and well here. And persecution, just to remind everybody, is simply someone trying to shut out, down our witness for Christ and the truth. That's what persecution is. So anywhere where that happens, whether it be through ridicule, whether it be through more hostile actions, whether it be through lack of employment, even to, you know, in other countries where people are chased off their land, chased out of, out of town, um, 
to imprisonment, to torture, to even death, the whole object of those who are actually in pursuit of Christians and trying to shut down their witness is simply that the end game is they don't want to hear about Christ and they don't want to hear the truth. Yeah, wow. With um, with the situation you've got here in Australia, do they have you know a legal basis for this to actually hold weight? You know, when something like this takes place in a in a public hospital. Uh, but, well, potentially, yes. Uh, you can't just go and pray with anybody. Uh, you cannot just, um, you know, share your faith openly without permission from someone. So, for example, you may be able to ask questions about your um, your patients. If they have a cross, they're wearing a cross, you may just ask, oh, that's an interesting cross, what's that about? And if they say, listen, yes, I'm a Christian, then possibly that may open the area for, for the Christian faith. But typically, you need to respond to their questions. So you've got to be careful in that environment. And, um, you know, a lot of doctors are. They've got, to, they've got to be quite aware that they can't just share their faith and pray because someone might be offended by that. They might feel harassed by it. And under harassment laws, of course, a doctor can be taken to task if they have done the wrong thing. Yeah, sure. Wow, serious stuff. Um, Etienne, what else is happening around the world? I understand that you had some, um, some, some stories from the Middle East that you were going to share today. Yes, yeah, I can tell you a story about Joseph. Um, he got in touch with our operatives in, in the Middle East there, in, in one of the countries. So this was now subsequent to the, the wars there, you know, the, the, the ISIS war, the, the war in Syria and so on. Um, he became a refugee and then later on they were able to establish some sort of um, framework for their, their family to work and, and find some industry. So they became quite independent. But as he was starting to mingle more with um, people who were Christians, he became quite curious about what made Christians so different. Um, he saw that the way they treated girls and women were very different to the way uh, typically the Muslims in his country were treating uh, women. So he ended up going to the mosque to ask the mosque leader why there was such a difference between Christians and Muslims. And uh, the leader actually got angry with him, and uh, he expelled him. He didn't answer his question, got really angry. He went and told the police that uh, this man was a convert to Christianity, but he wasn't. He was just curious. Um, he also said that he was proselytizing Muslims, which wasn't the truth at all. He was just simply a curious Muslim wanting to ask questions. What ended up happening is he actually was arrested by the local authorities because of the complaint by the, uh, the mosque leader. Um, he was put in jail for many days, and then finally a large sum had to be paid by his family to get him out of jail. Now, they used up all their money pretty much to do this. The whole outcome of that was after his release, not only him, but also his family abandoned their faith and disgust. Uh, but he was a little bit nervous about asking questions. So they lived a pretty much a liberal, secular lifestyle for many years. Now, this experience obviously had an effect on him. He was quite fearful. I don't think he was treated too well in prison, but he stopped asking questions. And then after a number of years, he sort of gained a bit of courage again. Uh, he went to church and then asked the local pastor some questions. And the pastor was setting up an appointment with him to actually uh, answer all the questions he had. But the pastor got arrested and then deported. And uh, then that what happened is the co-pastor and the church members became very afraid and no one wanted to actually answer his questions about this. They, they actually went undercover, underground, to, so to speak, and they didn't know if they could trust this guy. Okay, so can, can, I just, can I just jump in for a second? finally asked one of the elders about Christianity and Christ, but this elder was actually too afraid to answer his question. However, the elder happened to be a landlord, and our operative in Jordan was renting property to conduct church services from this landlord. Um, the landlord then said, listen, talk to this guy. So he, was he put in touch with Pastor Amero, 
spoke to him, and uh, he had many, many deep questions after years of thinking about all this stuff, right? Um, so then after long discussions, his heart was softened. Um, at, at the end of it, the, some of the last session he had there, he was crying and actually gave his heart to Jesus. So he became a Christian. He joined the church, was discipled, actually became a church worker, and he became a part of the pastor's family. However, Joseph's father, now they sort of become secular Muslims, right? Joseph's mm-hmm. father discovered um, that he'd become a Christian, and uh, he actually severely beat him with a metal pipe. He took his car away from him and kicked him out of the house. Now, this had a, a, just a, like a terrible effect on, on, uh, on Joseph. Uh, he became severely depressed for almost a year because his family had identified him as a Christian convert and an infidel. And what his family did, his father was so angry with him that he actually posted that on their Facebook page, on social media, and also that anyone that found him could kill him. So he went into basically a lockdown for his own safety. Um, our operative took him and put him in a, like, in a safe house, and he was in hiding there. He couldn't work. He couldn't show his face. Uh, during that time, he was just praying a lot and spending a lot of time in God's Word. So there was a positive that came out of him. as actually being educated regarding the truth. He became a, a, a student of truth so that later he actually could become a witness for it. Now, finally, he did receive some good news after about a year in isolation lockdown. His sister was trying to find out where he was. She wanted to meet him. And then after they checked out her story, because they weren't sure if she was being uh, sincere or not, it was arranged for them to meet. Now, she was also curious about his new religion because she knew him growing up, and she was amazed that he would accept suffering and isolation like this. Um, So uh, during the meeting, the sister also started asking some questions. The gospel was able to be shared with her. And finally, she ended up giving her life to Jesus as well. Now, shortly after that, Joseph's mum also wanted to meet him. Same story again. Questions were asked. There were meetings backwards and forwards. And she also became a follower of Jesus. Now, during the COVID-19, so we're into this year now, right? During yeah, the COVID-19, we've covered, father, covered a bit of um, him. territory. Sorry? I say we've covered a bit of uh, time span with this story. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, ooh, I can hardly hear for some reason. Let me just see if I can uh, change that. Uh, it's okay, Etienne. You just keep going with the story. The story's great. We need to hear the story. Okay. So uh, yeah, so the father who had beaten him also made contact. And uh, he also asked the son then finally to come back. Um, he asked for forgiveness. He was actually very embarrassed and ashamed by what he'd done, that he'd beaten his son, he'd taken his car away and chased him off. And also ashamed that he'd actually ashamed him publicly on social media and that his life was at risk now. But because of the guilt, uh, the father initially didn't want to meet with our operative there, the pastor, the local pastor. But finally he agreed, and after some meetings, he also ended up giving his life to Jesus. So, so now the whole family are being disciplined. Uh, sorry, sorry, discipled, should I say, not disciplined. <laughs> uh, discipled, or disciplined under the dis- discipline of the Lord, of course. Um, but not through the conventional way. Because of the COVID-19 lockdowns, uh, they have been having online meetings. Um, you know, this is quite a d- dangerous situation. Uh, they've been using Zoom meetings and so on. And, of course, Zoom initially wasn't um, wasn't uh, all that uh, um, safe to use because anybody could actually hack into it. But now they've actually uh, made it a lot safer. Um, also, the other thing is the public Facebook post is still there to haunt them um, because everybody knows that Joseph gave his heart to Jesus. So the whole family now actually work- worshipping in secret. They cannot share what's happening to them, uh, the good news of Jesus at the present, with their other family members. But we keep on praying for them. But this is just an example of many stories 
from around the world where people are coming to Christ, and especially in the Middle East. I mean, Iran is probably the area now where Christianity is growing faster than any other country in the world. Etienne, uh, thank you so much for joining us here this morning to share those stories with us. Some amazing stories there. Stories from Voice of the Martyrs. You can uh, check out their website online to get more information about the fantastic work that they are doing. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, so now it is time for... Question of the Day. And our question of the day is... Our question of the day today is actually an interesting one. Um, Somebody's texted in and they have said, why is it that every time I think about God, I start swearing about God, swearing at God, Mm. and how can I stop? And that's a really serious question here from somebody who is in the middle of a really desperate struggle. Yes. And so um, we're going to keep this person in special prayer. Definitely. Um, There is a number of stories in the Bible that are somewhat similar to this, and I don't know the answer as to why this is taking place. There are a couple of different um, scenarios that come to my mind, one of them simply being that you know some people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ have a long history of swearing. It takes a while for them to get out of the habit, and maybe it's just the habit that is coming through. But from the way this question is written, I think there's more going on here than just a habit of using bad language. There's a spiritual war taking place here. This Mm. definitely sounds to me like spiritual warfare. There is a story that kind of reminds me of this, um, where Jesus went into the synagogue. This is in Mark chapter 2, verse 22. They were astonished at his doctrine. He taught them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. There was a, a man there with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, Let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Now, when the Spirit cries out here, this is a a demon, he is not saying these things in a way to give glory to God, but in a way to insult God and be aggressive towards God. And so if there is something happening in your mind where you want to be giving glory to God, but instead of giving glory to God, aggression towards God is coming out then I suspect this this is a an unclean spirit that's involved. And if this is the case, then the first step for you is to make a full surrender to Jesus Christ and to sit down and spend some time in self-reflection with Jesus and in prayer and say, is there anything in my life right now that is coming between me and God that I need to give up, that is opening the door for this kind of spiritual attack. I honestly see this as a spiritual attack. That's where you start. You start there yourself. Uh, You follow that up by getting in contact with other Christians, people of faith, and asking for them to pray for you and to pray with you. Now, if you have things in your life that you are hanging on to and you are refusing to surrender to God that you know is wrong then you need to then then it doesn't matter how many people come and pray for you you're not going to have freedom mm. it's as simple as that um but if you've made everything right with God in your life if you've got rid of everything in your life that is coming between you and God then that 
demon will be driven from your presence. And take that to God in prayer yourself, but also invite others to come and pray. We might say, well, why would, why would we want more than one person praying? Well, when more than one person prays, it gives you, because the devil doesn't like to be driven away, and he's going to say, God, you have no right. And then God is going to say, I'm here by special request. And when he can say, I'm here by special request of a lot of people, then powerful things can and will take place. This is a serious one. Take it to God in prayer.